Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Do you think bananas are healthy? Think again. I'm Dr. Stephen Gundry, best-selling author of the Plant Paradox series, and on the Dr. Gundry Podcast, you're going to learn the foods to eat and the ones to avoid, to lose weight, boost your energy, and feel your most vibrant, active self this year. You'll also learn simple tips from the world's top experts on health and nutrition. Plus, you'll discover the truth about calories, how running could actually be hurting your health, and why fat won't make you fat. Subscribe now to the Dr. Gundry Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Because I'm Dr. Gundry, and I'm always looking out for you. Well, perhaps you were surprised to learn that health insurance doesn't necessarily cover the cost of an emergency medical flight. Even with comprehensive coverage, you can still get hit with a substantial deductible, and let's not forget the co-pays. Protect your family, protect your finances with Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if an emergency arises, the expense of air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership costs as little as $85 a year and confers your entire household with coverage. Every day, even when you're away from home, your entire household is covered pennies a day. And we all know that unexpected can happen. An AMC and a membership is protection no family should be without. And for a limited time, as a Dr. Drew listener, you'll get up to a $50 e-gift card when you join. Remember, it's only $85 a year to begin with. And uh, again, simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use offer code Drew. Hey everyone, welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. We appreciate the support you guys give us and, of course, supporting those that keep the wind in the sails of the Corolla Pirate Ship. Uh, don't forget to check out After Dark. Uh, we're doing a lot of interesting stuff over there. People keep asking me for sort of uh, some sort of old-school Loveline-type uh, programming, and uh, uh, some of the solo stuff I've been doing in After Dark is sort of get going that direction. So check out uh, that program and keep sending your voice messages in at 818-253-1693. And uh, let's see. We also take the emails that I read there at um, drdrewfjark at gmail.com. <clears throat> Sorry about the the morning frog here today. Uh, we're going to get into a very important topic here today. Uh, I have not uh, – I think I would say we've been a little delinquent in not focusing more on veterans' issues. And uh, so it's a privilege when uh, Tom Spooner came around with a new video available now on Amazon Prime Video, highlights three long-term recovery stories of veterans and first responders, encourages fellow warriors to pick up that thousand-pound phone. I love that. I love that uh, aphorism or that that image. Uh, Tom Spooner is the co-founder of Warrior's Heart Addiction and PTSD Treatment. He's a retired U.S. Army Green Beret and Special Forces. Um, his service spanned 21 years. He was in the 82nd Airborne as Green Beret. Uh, after retiring from the Army, he has approached struggles with PTSD and traumatic brain injury and helping those who have helped protect us. Tom, welcome to the program. Dr. Drew, thanks for having me. So uh, I guess we should start with the documentary. Tell us more about what, what we're going to see there and uh, what the reason was for the documentary and g- give me all the particulars. Okay. So the uh, number one the reason for the documentary was to continue to spread the word and get the word out about Warrior's Heart and about... Uh, the struggles that our veterans and first responders, <clears throat> you know, that population, firefighters, what they experience. So that that was that was really the why behind it. And then uh, and then we captured it with the Warriors Heart story, which is uh, 
is pretty rare because it's a little bit behind the scenes of, you know, we have staff members that are on there that tell their stories and also, hey, what we do that, that connect the dots, you know, because uh, we talk a lot about veteran issues, uh, but like, hey, how do we actually go about, you know, what goes on behind behind closed doors per se, you know, with, with actual treatment? Most people don't even really know what that means. and What, what treatment they, means? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We got to talk about that, but keep going. Yeah. So, with, you know, with this population, like for those that don't know this, the population that we treat here is primary diagnosis, chemical dependencies with co-occurring conditions, PTS, moral grief, injury, all the whole buffet that we know that we all have. And um, but that's with the active duty veterans, all first responders, EMTs, uh, law enforcement, you know, that whole group. And because uh, a lot of them have the same specific. Let, let uh, me ask kind of, something from a, from sure. a tre- just a curiosity from a treatment standpoint. Is it uh, mixed gender or do you have to separate? It's mixed gender. Mm-hmm. Obviously, separate for the uh, for the housing aspect of yeah. it. But whenever it comes to the treatment mm-hmm. modalities and everything that we do, uh, is together, mm-hmm. uh, which it mimics the you know what they did on the profession. Uh, you know, as far as working females, males together. You know, it always has that same dynamic. And how did you get involved with this? I'm sorry? How did you get involved with this? How did I get involved? With it? It's the story of my life. Uh, so I got sober, uh, just a short version of it. You know, I mean, I got sober when I was 22 years old back in September of 92. Super passionate. I struggled with alcohol. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit like the poster boy for this thing. Like, hey, I've got you know, significant amount of childhood trauma. I've got significant amount of uh, chemical use. I've got significant amounts of PTS and uh, war trauma and moral grief and injury and traumatic brain injury. So, so, so let, let's, let's, let's kind of parse that stuff out for people. You and I know what you're talking about, but, but the childhood trauma, what was specific for you? Uh, specific to me was, uh, uh, I mean, the full boat as far as uh, I was mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually um, abused uh, as a child from the ages of seven to eleven. Were you so in foster be, care or something? Were you, was it just bad? Everybody else? No, was alcohol, no, it was just a, kind of in a normal home, and it was just like a neighborhood thing. Uh, <laughs> Got going it. On, so. Got it. So that was on the uh, on that piece of it, which obviously significantly impacted my life. Uh, when did came you, from, when'd you get I honest about that? Parents. Yeah. I'm sorry. When'd you get honest about that? When I got honest about that was whenever I did my fourth step, uh, as I was going through the steps in AA, um, it actually, you know, through that process of digging and peeling back the layers of the onion, they say, uh, you know, I uncovered that that was there. It wasn't any, ever anything that I was trying to push down or push back. It was, it just was not there, which we all know for psychological reasons, it was, buried for for on purpose but uh yeah that's that's really whenever i was first exposed like holy crap you know that happened in my life and and do you think that was some of what you were acting out maybe it's not quite the right word but in terms of becoming a warrior um yeah i mean well a few things like i always had like my heroes were uh my uncle who was a vietnam vet my grandfather was world war ii vet so it. it was just always in me to go down that that lane but you know having pts at a young age yeah 
uh, you know, and without tools, you know, my tools were uh, anger, action, violence, you know, <laughs> the normal Al- kind Al- of alcohol <laughs> and alcohol. <laughs> right. You're right. That, which made everything okay, which made me okay. That's what made me an alcoholic is, is people always wonder what's the difference. It's like, hey, me ingesting alcohol in my system made me feel normal, yeah. uh, like everyone else. Right. Um, so it was my medicine. I mean, if it, thank God I was an alcoholic for me because if it, if it wouldn't have been, I would have been one of those kids that, you know, blows their heads off. Or, right. So, so you know, I, I hear that from addict alcoholics all the time is that the drugs or the alcohol saved my life. It, yeah, it wasn't. It, it, also, a, it also threatened to kill me, but it, right. but it, but it right. saved my life when it needed to. Which is something kind of a little bit of a Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, thing well, I think it's important to understand that people people don't get alcoholism addiction. So I, I appreciate you talking about it today, and and so help people understand the link between childhood traumas of various type and post traumatic stress. I'm sorry. The link between uh, childhood trauma of various types and post traumatic stress. So the for me, and then it mm-hmm. kind of ties into what we're doing now is like uh, there's. There's many, but in my world and my understanding is, is that, uh, you know, there's two approaches to reaching PTS, you know, and there's the victim uh, and then there's the volunteer. Uh, so for me, I had a point in my life where, hey, I, I was a victim of, of trauma, you know, and so the approach to that is, hey, it's not your fault, you know, all these kind of things that that whenever I'm a volunteer if you try to come at me with a victim mentality, it's not really going to work. It's like, no, I volunteered to put myself in a position. So it's uh, the link uh, to PTS, um, you know, is, is uh, there's two different approaches to that. I'm not sure if I answered your question correctly. Well, you, you, you're, you're talking around it, which is that there's a link that if, that the kids that had childhood trauma are much more prone to PTS. Uh, and and that's just in particularly with chronic PTSD and high high level symptomatology, something mm-hmm. about something about early trauma is sort of reactivated with uh, current day PTSD. And then you add in with the military. I mean, you, our bodies are not designed to deal with that kind of intensity, those sorts right. of traumas and situations. Yeah, and no, and nor was anybody uh, no, uh, no fault to anyone's, but you're not trained for that. Uh, you know, you're not, you're not trained to, Hey, how do I, how do I deal with this stuff? And, and, and I'm very specific about with the military It's designed that way on purpose, because in the moments when I have to make uh, life taking or life saving decisions, I can't be bothered with, uh, you know, like, Hey, how do I feel about this? Right, right. Uh, we can get to that later. So like you said, that one of the things that made me a great warrior uh, not saying that arrogantly, just in my performance is that I am is because I had the ability to compartmentalize. Yeah. I had the ability, what they call post-traumatic growth. You know, I even had that at an earlier age. So just like the old saying, Hey, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, you know, uh, with the right tools that is, you know, and alcohol right. was not it. Um, but you know, once I got mental and emotional and spiritual tools in my tool belt, then all of that stuff that was a problem became my greatest asset. And your bottom? My bottom. Uh, I was 22 years old. I had two years in the Army. I was absolutely crushing it to the external world. Uh, I did more in two years than a lot of guys had done in full careers. I was uh, already a sergeant. I'd already been to the Gulf War as soon as I came in. I'd already been to Ranger School. Uh, I mean, I was absolutely the golden boy professionally. 
but personally, I was a freaking train wreck. Uh, and what got me to my bottom was, is that, uh, like I said, I started drinking at an early age and, um, and, and, I, uh, you know, came very close to losing my mind <coughs> at that time, just uh, mentally, emotionally, but also then for me, my bottom was, is that, uh, you know, I was young and my wife was young, but she had had enough and rightly so. And she's like, Hey, we're, we're done, you know? And those were all the things she that saved, she I, saved your life. That's good. She did. Yeah. Uh, and it was those things that, uh, that got my attention, you know, that said like, Whoa, I have a problem here. And this, this alcohol thing is like really disrupting my life. And, uh, and I can't stop. And you, and you said when you were losing your mind, so-called, were you becoming encephalopathic? Like you were developing, getting detached from reality, like, like a delirium or were you well, in mean, withdrawal, just, having hallucinations and withdrawal, that kind of thing? Or Well, it was the, it was the typical alcoholic. I mean, the, the quintessential alcoholic for me, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. So, you know, I was be withdrawn and kind of shy and, you know, very respectful. I was raised in the South. So I had all my manners and, you know, and all of that. Yeah. Uh, and, but then you put alcohol in me and I was a monster. Huh. Um, so the things that I would do whenever I was drinking, you know, basically if you asked me to do those things, uh, I would set myself on fire before I would, you know, do certain things that I did when I was drunk and I was a blackout drunk too. Mm. So I'd be, you know, so whenever I say, and I was losing it, you know, all these things that were going on and then the shame, guilt, remorse, the depression, the fury, the, you know, all of it that happens at one time just made for more drinking. Yeah. And so that loop get on and, and uh, the beautiful thing for me is I was as screwed up as I was at a young age. Uh, so I didn't have to go on, you know, to into my thirties or forties or fifties. And, uh, you know, but I had that moment where it's like, you know, the problems in my life specifically with my wife got me into the idea of I need to recovery. And then once I stayed dry long enough, then I hit the real bottom, uh, in my opinion, uh, which is, is that I decided that I wanted to change my life and get help. Mm. And I knew that I needed others to help me do that because I had been trying to do it my whole life and it didn't work. I didn't have the power. I didn't have the tools. I I needed assistance. Never does work by yourself. Never does. Many have tried. Many have tried. In any endeavor, you know I mean? If I want to be a plumber, I got to go to plumbing school. If I want to, you know I mean? I can try to do all this stuff on my own and it, it might be okay. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> but more than likely, if you go to an expert and get some training, like it's nonlinear how well you're going to do. So, And then how did Warrior's Heart get going? So Warrior's Heart get go- got going. Um, I met Josh and Lisa Lennon. I met Josh uh, in 2013. Um, and Josh and Lisa were due. They had um, recovery centers in Utah and in Arizona at the time. And had been doing it for about 15 years. Very successful, very high quality of care. Um, but I met Josh at a, what I call a fun and gun event. I was trying to, I was doing tactical world stuff for YPO guys. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and Josh was one of those guys. And I met him in the woods in North Carolina huh. uh, doing a tactical event. And uh, nothing happens is by chance in my world. And um, so we met in 13. Uh, you know, it's fine. Like, Hey, this is, uh, you know, a good partners, you know, and my definition of a good partner is like, Hey, I can't do what they do. They can't do what I do. Let's get together, make a team and crush it. And, uh, so met in 13, uh, we started 
the idea of Warrior's Heart in 2015, like really crunching in on it, what it looked like. Uh, we got the property uh, in 2015, and we were open for business in April of 2016, so five years now. But um, What are the level of cares you guys offer? Um, the level of care that we have is, uh, in my terms, without getting to, I know, I, not yeah. your term probably, yeah, yeah. but it's, uh, you know, we handle our highest level of care. Like we don't treat schizophrenics. We don't treat extreme bipolar. Our level of care is basically those that can function. Uh, you know what I mean? And but is it, have, is it a living environment or like an assisted outpatient or both or it all? Is a, it is a 42-day inpatient Got it. Uh, treatment facility. Got it. But, but no acute, unstable medical or psychiatric problems, which makes sense. Correct. Yeah. Like, and a lot of times whenever we do have folks, our screening process is very, very extensive. So we get it right and get the right people in the place where they need the right level of care. Uh, and we've had folks that were kind of on the bubble, you know, is this extreme alcoholism, drug addiction? It's hard piece, to tell. It's hard, hard to tell. tell. Especially with meth these days. Right. And then, um, so, you know, we have at times, uh, sent, uh, guys needed to go to a higher level of care to get stabilized and then come back to us, you know, whether they get needed to get their meds straight, uh, or they just needed, uh, you know, a little bit of something extra and then come back to us. So do you do detox there? We do. We have our, we have our own house detox and uh, the full spectrum that we have is we have, um, we have our detox, we have a 42 day inpatient, uh, residential treatment. Uh, we have our intensive outpatient treatment and we have sober living. Great. Perfect. The full, full continuum. And, and, and how does someone get admitted? How do they get access? Tell, tell us about that. Most of the time is, uh, it's a family member, or friend, right? You, you know, the story, a lot of times the individual themselves, especially when it comes to substance use, well, I, I maybe I'm asking the question wrong. I get what you mean, but but it's often the courts and things like that that send people in. But but how do, how would someone choose your program? How would they learn about it? What are the resources to help them pay for it? That kind of thing. Yeah. So the best way is warriorsheart.com. The okay. best and easiest way hit warriorsheart.com. Uh, there's a phone number that's going to pop right up there for you. And, uh, and you get on the phone and you talk to one of our admissions advocates. We call them advocates, not just because it's a cool term, but it, from that moment on, they are advocating for your loved one or for the, the client that's on the and, phone. And so the other part of that is who's eligible? So the folks that are eligible are active duty, veterans, law enforcement, uh, any type of EMT first responders. That's the population and the peer group that we serve. Cur- currently employed. You can't be retired or. They can be. Okay. They can be, uh, they can be also be retired uh, either on active police, active firefighter or retired. Got so it. yeah. So as long as they, how we define the population is, is that if, um, if, if your profession, if you deal with life and death uh, as a profession on a daily basis, yeah. then you're qualified uh, to be a warrior. And, and are the EAPs of the various police forces aware of this? Because that's often how people get to tr- law enforcement gets to treatment. And it's sort of a kind of a weird process, but are EAPs aware of you guys? There are. Yeah. Uh, there's not enough of them aware of us. That's no. why we're on the show with you. And yeah. that's why we did the documentary. It's, uh, you know, we don't have our, you know, it'd be nice to have a multi-million dollar uh, marketing campaign, yeah. uh, but we don't have that at our disposal. So, but to your point is, is that's really how we 
how we do get in touch with the individuals, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, every department is different. Every sheriff is different. Every commander in the military is different. You know, there's a big, huge stigma, you know what I mean? A, a, about seeking help for us. And, and, you know, and that is what it is. That's always going to be there. There's, you know, guys, guys and gals are the way that they are. Our deal is, is to change the narrative, uh, not try to do away with the stigma. That's, that's beyond our realm, but, uh, you know, th- like there's strength through healing. Like, uh, I mean, I've, I've lived that and experienced that at 18, uh, almost 19 years of my life in special operations was sober. Mm. Uh, you know, so it, it's totally doable. It made me the warrior that I was because I was sober and all of those, uh, deficits were then assets. Um, so that's, that's what we, that's how we kind of approach, you know, we're just changing the narrative. It's like, it's just training. We run a training course. You come to us, you get cleaned up, you get trained up, and then you get back into the fight, whether that's in living or on the job. Do you lead the groups? And whenever I'm here, yeah, some, some of the groups that I leave lead and, uh, cause you know, right now, you know, we have 55 folks in house and, and, you know, basically at a three week waiting list, you know, we, we, we need more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to answer your questions, yeah, I sit in the groups, I sit around the fire pit, I go to the wood shop, I go to the metal shop, uh, talk with them in the chow hall, you know, um, that's, that's what my passion and love is. So I'm just one of the fortunate ones that my passion and love is sobriety. Number one, number two would be for this population. And then number three, to have a facility and programming and curriculum, because that's the difference that makes Warriors Heart different than other centers is my job here. One of my jobs here is provide warrior oversight uh, because I am this population. So I know how much psych they can deal with before that you just lose them. I know how much, <laughs> I know how much, you know, the medical side, you know, it's like, Hey, yeah, we can go. So my job is to be like the warrior, not to be like, is to be the warrior elder and provide warrior oversight uh, for the population to our subject matter experts. We have to have psychiatrists and psychologists. You know, we have to have medical directors. We have to have all these different people that put the whole person back together. However, it's my responsibility to regulate you know what I mean? How, what they can stand and what they can't. It, it's kind of what the the woke world would call culturally sensitive treatment, <laughs> right? It's just, yes, it's just for this particular culture. Yeah, and and like we had mentioned before, is that you know just in dealing with PTS, you know, um, it's like the approach to it is. Uh, that's why I love when they break down PTS. It's like, hey, when you go to the doctor and you get tested and they say, hey, you have cancer, you're like, oh my god do you have your cancer pill? It's like, well, no, what kind is it? Where did it come from? Is, where is it in my, all of that kind of stuff? But when it comes to PTS, like, Oh, you got PTS. Like, okay, here's, here's your, you know, yeah. it's like, no, it's not like that. There's different approaches and stuff. So that was, that's one of the main things of keeping that peer group together because they all have that common piece, you know, whether it was a combat veteran uh, you know, that went to war overseas and a stateside EMT, it's always the same things that are eating them up inside. It's the guys that got killed. It's the innocence. It's the, you know, all those different things that are really bothering the moral injuries, you know, that is going on. I don't think people know really what you're talking about. So you have to spell it out. I, I know what you're talking about, but go ahead. Um, 
which piece of it? Both the moral injury uh, and the why the importance of the loss of peers and the moral injury. Both those topics to just develop them out so people really understand what how powerful those things are. Yeah, so the, the loss of peers is that um, you'll hear it all the time when you hear survivor's guilt. Most people have know about that. It's a real thing. It happens. Uh, and that is partly some of, the, some of the time what we're dealing with is that survival's guilt. But there's this other stuff that's not in really the, I don't think in the psychological books, but it's, right. uh, it's called warrior shame. You right. know, uh, and that is, is that, is, man, if I would have been a stronger warrior, I would, if I'd have been faster, if I would have been, it's it's a, it's a difference between it it, it is. It's a different um, manifestation of the basics of, of trauma, of that kind of trauma, which is helplessness. Helplessness is the feeling that humans hate uh, and that makes them feel traumatized. And when you're a warrior, you're always, you're never, that's never supposed to happen. And it does. And when it does, you are completely and totally unprepared for it. And that's where it gets into the things that I didn't understand. Like you said, the difference between warrior shame and and survivor's guilt. The the biggest, one of the biggest ones for me, because, you know, I approach my healing the same way I approach my military career. Like, hey, what can I do next? Where can I be challenged? So I went to EMDR, I've been to hyperbaric treatment, I've done prolonged, but you name it, it's out there, minus hallucinogenics, because... That worked. Yeah. That worked for you. Minus. Oh, minus, minus. Because it's, it's MDMA is the only one that has the evidence based, and it's for really for people that aren't responding to anything yeah. else. Yeah, but, and that's a whole different topic because yeah. you know whether it's out, al- you know, alcoholic and addict. Anyway, yeah. no, you so can't. Anyway, well, but it it gets kind of blurry because. It, sometimes you know al- alcoholic addicts can have recalcitrant depressions, and sometimes somebody will say, "Well, we have ketamine." It's like, ugh, you know, like, yeah, okay. There, this is this is not something you reach for routinely for an addict alcoholic, right? And so, the one of the big things for me was like that moral grief and injury. Like, I, like, wh- what kind of foo foo stuff is that? You know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't understand what that means. Now, I understand regret, and just to lay it out there, like we said for people, is like you know, being in war. Uh, in combat in the, in the profession and position that I was in, you know, it was, it was pretty regular. And, and I understand regret. Regret means, Tom, if you had a chance to change what you did, would you do it differently? If I say yes, then that's a regret. Like, hey, I re- if I could have done it different, I would. However, put me in a traumatic, horrible situation, the same one, and said, Tom, if, you know, or maybe people's lives were taken and that kind of aspect. It's like, hey, if you had a chance to do it all over again, would you do it again? And I'd say absolutely. Uh, so that's not a regret, but however, something's not right with it. Yeah. Like, and that had me stumped for a long time. Was like, okay, because I understood regret when I got sober, you know, hey, I wish I'd have never done that kind of thing. But then I had these issues that happened mainly in war, uh, but in a lot of other aspects where, but mainly war, we'll talk about it, is like, hey, I had to make decisions to do, you know, what needs to be done whenever you're in that setting. Horrible, traumatic, all that. Uh, but however, it was necessary to do in that circumstances. And it still bothered me. So I didn't have a regret about it, but I, but I was like, why do I think about it still? Why do I like have this feeling of it that it's not right? Because intellectually, I, it's not a regret. And then I uh, had this wonderful uh, 
a lady, one of our clinicians named Annette Hill, uh, who explained what moral injury and grief was, you know, and that is, is that, you know, it was the situation that what I, just the words and what it meant was like, hey, I was in this horrible situation that really, in my belief system, human beings weren't, weren't intended to do. Right. <laughs> However, we know war has been around forever and it always will be. Um, However, I, that left me with uh, the humanity aspect of it. I'm a soldier and I believe her. And the only thing that I regret that I did in the military is that I couldn't do more of it. So be very clear about that. Uh, however, all these different things that uh, I had to do with other human beings and other human beings try to do to me, you know, is uh, kind of not how we're wired. <laughs> so so uh, is, isn't it a little bit of a persistent wish? Wish it were different? Wish it wasn't like that? Wish... Isn't that no, kind of what it is? No, no. because I'm a realist. Uh, I mean, there's always going to be war. Since the man was put here, <laughs> they've been fighting about something and killing each other or something. And we know all the psychological reasons why that occurs. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, I'm I'm a realist. I mean, would it be nice? Absolutely. But I don't really get caught up in it. I, I you know, I'm of the mindset of like solution based, like, okay, we did what we get to get where we are. How in the world do we move forward? You know, and everything that we do out here at Warriors Heart is all evidence-based with this community. Uh, so it's not any theorizing, you know, it's, uh, hey, we're heavy, heavy 12-step as far as a vehicle to move us through. We're heavy on, hey, they get four one-on-ones a week, uh, which is unheard of. You know, the industry standard is one, and that's two with a chemical dependency counselor, two with a co- trauma counselor, you know, and then... So everything that we do out here is built for this population. You know, we have our wood shop, we have our metal shop because they need to, you know, weld and grind and sweat. And, you know, and we also have our regular art shop too. So we know the creativity. So we do all the, it's a very good balance between what this population is built for. Uh, The hardest stuff they do out here uh, as it was for me is to sit down with a, a clinician, you know, a psychologist, you know, a trauma, you know, and talk about how I feel and how, you know, <laughs> I'd rather get in a gunfight <laughs> right. uh, than do that. Right. Uh, so, so we, we got to balance that hard work in emotional, intentional hard work with decompression and creativity uh, with what will work in this population, you know, setting in a room and listen to meditative spa music doesn't really work so good <laughs> with right. guys. That are, right. You know, that's right. No, you're right. That, that uh, mindfulness can make things worse 20% of the time. And our mindfulness is, is a, is a flavor that like we still, obviously mindless mindfulness is a huge, wonderful practice. Right. Again, the approach to it is very different. Mm -hmm. You know, some approaches that work with very serene and others, others is like, Hey, we're walking and talking. That's right. That's exactly right. It's a great way to approach. So we take all those, those, battle proven say modalities and just add our add our flavor to it but the only reason why we can do that is because we have the beauty of having the same peer group in here yeah one kind of and it's not unlike anywhere it's not anything new if you have a group of doctors that are going through the same thing hey they can relate to each other you're right and and people don't appreciate how much peer peer support groups how important that is for whether it's recovery or ptsd or both uh, the peer thing is just vastly underrated or really under-recognized by the general public, I would say. 
what is kind of funny because we talk about it all the time. It's like, Hey, who your friends are, who your peers are is who you're going to be. You know, when we talk about peer support to your support, but when it comes to mental, emotional health and, and substance use recovery, it's all of a sudden for some reason it's different. Like, no, it's okay that you guys really like, if you have, if you have a guy that you know what I mean, that was a drug dealer and you have a cop, you know, from the same area that has arrested him. And we know that, Hey, they got to do the same things in order to recover, but there's not going to be a peer network there. Uh, it's, it's just not, it's just not going to happen in new recovery. Now, once, once you get past, you know what I mean? All that initial, you know, and you get your mind working and you have tools in the toolbox, then, you know I mean? You can expand your reach to other than just your peers, but, you know, at the beginning, the power of, you know, them being able to relate to, to one another, uh, even though a soldier went to basic training, you know, a law enforcement officer went to the police academy or the fire academy, everybody, they have that, that same commonality. This podcast, the Dr. Drew podcast, is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. You've heard me mention them before. And, of course, I've referred patients, family, been very happy with the services they provide. And May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and throughout June, BetterHelp is proud to join the cause of destigmatizing therapy. If you're struggling, think about BetterHelp. They'll assess your needs, match you with your own licensed professional. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It is a professional counseling done securely online. Therapists have a broad range of experience. Service is available for clients worldwide. Just log on to your account anytime. Send a message to your counselor. You can schedule weekly video, phone, or even live chat sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. And, of course, we've all become used to using online mechanisms to to uh, access everything, let's be fair. And you don't have to worry about waiting rooms or uncomfortable encounters with other patients. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Our listeners get 10% off their first month of online therapy at betterhelp.com slash Drew. That is betterhelp.com slash Drew. Marie wasn't getting enough sleep. Every night she struggled with poor sleep, restless legs, but then she made a small change, and one month later, everything was better, all because she started taking Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers, the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium. Marie left a five-star rating saying, I'd give this 100 stars if I could. Within one month of use, I went from daily struggles with restless legs, constipation, poor sleep, to no struggles with any of that. I know it sounds dramatic and far-fetched, but it is true. And Marie is not the only one getting better sleep after taking Magnesium Breakthrough. Amanda says, quote, I fall asleep much faster and stay asleep now until normal waking hours. You have a customer for life. And Bill says, quote, on the first night of taking Magnesium Breakthrough, my deep sleep jumped up to two hours, which has been the highest reading so far from my Oura Ring. Listen, if you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, one of the best things you can do is start by getting enough magnesium. It's simple. But please do not run to the store to buy the first magnesium supplement you find. Most magnesium supplements use only two of the cheapest synthetic forms. And since they're not full spectrum, they may not fix your magnesium deficiency or then may not help you sleep better. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium, and you must get all of them if you want to experience its calming, sleep-enhancing effects 
That's why I'm suggesting Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed how much better you sleep. Magnesium is known to help sleep, and how much more rested you'll feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash Drew. Use code Dr. Drew 10 during checkout to save 10%. That is magbreakthrough.com slash DREW and use the code DRDREW, Dr. Drew 10 at checkout to save 10%. It's an interesting thing. It, it breaks on one level. It breaks down some of the resistance, right? Because people, yeah. when, when you sit with, like you said, you first of all, you don't want to you talk don't about, understand. You, you don't understand. That's always the. I don't want to talk about my feelings, and you don't understand. Uh, and so, having somebody who can say me too. It's same with drug addicts too. Uh, can say me too, and 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 immediately mean it, and and the other person immediately know they know what they mean. Um, that that gets the whole process started. It does. You know, in a lot of the magic, we have, you know, all the modalities that we have. But in, in the evening, uh, you know, when all the, the day is done and they finish their last group, you know, at 830 at night and they have free time from, you know, from 830 to 11 lights out. That's where the magic happens around the fire pit, you know, around, you know, because now they're some guys have had the and gals have had the best day they've ever lived and, and wanted to share about it. And you have other folks that it was the absolute, you know, I mean, hardest day of their life emotionally, yeah. you know, there. Yeah. So, you know, and, and in this population, you know, it's a population of service. It's a population of looking out for your fellow man. Hey, helping your buddy out. So mentorship and those kind of things. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Do, do alumni come back around and serve on the unit? They do. Like we have alumni programming and we have alumni speakers that come in because, again, it's back to like, hey, we're removing, pulling those teeth of you don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, I well, can it's, get- it's two. It's two. Right. It's 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 three things. Really, it's that, it's that fellowship service. It's you don't understand. And it's, hey, if I can do it, you can do it. Like, look, look where I've gone. You know, yes. they, yeah. So provides that hope. Yeah. And that and, you know, and that is uh, that that's a huge huge piece you know i mean of what we have going on here and and like you said about the mentorship piece it it occurs like naturally we don't you know we always in the in those professions you know as you always have a battle buddy you always have your partner you always have you know someone who's there with you and so and we know through that profession like hey some days we're up some days we're down we look out for each other so it occurs naturally like around the fire pit you got one guy that's here on day three and he's still trying to think of how he's going to get the hell out of here. And then you got another guy that's at day 40, you know, and they're sitting by the fire and he says, Hey man, I, I know what you're thinking. Like you're ready to go, but listen, just stay, you know what I mean? Here's my, you know, and here's what happened with yeah, me. Th- this is, this is some of the magic of what happens in a, in a treatment center, which is the, the, yeah. the old timers enroll the newcomers and, and then the alumni serve a whole function as they move out into the world. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, it's, that's the cool thing is we're not reinventing the wheel out here. It's like, we're just taking all the things that we 100% know, lack of better words, battle proven, yeah, uh, yeah. this environment at work. And that's what we executed because, you know, like I said, it's a training program and it's like basic training. It's like, Hey, this is a sterile environment. This is where we get all the education. We work through a bunch of different things, but when you leave here, you know, that's where the real training, you know, whether if you execute what we've taught you here, 
you're going to be a sober, confident warrior. If you don't, you won't. <laughs> right, right. And it's you've seen it, Doctor Drew. There's oh, that's huh. you know that's just how it is uh, when it comes to substance use. Are, are you um, any special outreach for homeless veterans, or is that uh, too unstable a population? No, we have we have the full gamut from a homeless veteran that was let's say on heroin or whatever they were on comes homeless all the way to an active duty uh, military member or active duty law enforcement. So we meet each of them where they are. How did, uh, how is it, how is the treatment paid for? So we're a private treatment facility. The treatment is paid for predominantly by insurance. Secondary is private pay. Third is scholarships uh, or hardships as far as meaning, uh, Gary Sinise Foundation, Semper Fi Fund. There's several organizations uh, and our the Warriors Heart Foundation that support, you know, and mitigate treatment costs for substance use. The cool thing for us is that uh, that I'm proud about too is that uh, there's not ever been anyone not receive healing because they didn't have the money. Right. That's you know, nice. so we'll figure it out. Whatever. Uh, it may take some time, but you know it's it, it's and and it's super important also to know that Warriors Heart uh, is not a non for profit because the reason why it is that way is because it's sovereign. Uh, government doesn't have you know what they how they think we should conduct treatment. We don't like hey we know how to treat. Uh, we're not arrogant in saying that, um, and we're always open to learning and new. But and then the other good thing is, is that it's governed by HIPAA law. Mm. Uh, so our clientele, our our warrior class, they need that anonymity because if you ask guys to include myself, hey, Tom, why didn't you seek help sooner? It's like I didn't want to lose my job, whether it was a security clearance, whether it was, you know, hey, the liability from being on the job, whether it comes to fire EMT. So, you know, there's that that's another reason why we kept it the way it is, is because it's governed by HIPAA law. And you know how strong. HIPAA oh, law yeah. Is. Well, it's actually too strong. <laughs> <laughs> because it, because they treat psychiatric hospitals and medical records differently than medical settings, which it should be just the same. It happens to be a brain disorder as opposed to a pancreas disorder or a foot disorder, and the right. records should be protected the same. Uh, but they get insane over psychiatric records, which is stigmatizing and – ugh, it's the worst, right. the worst. Um, but good. I mean, of course, you need that HIPAA protection. Uh, I, I think I'm still um, – Wanting to know more about how this got going because it, it sounds it's a it's a big task to get something like right. this up and huge. running. Yeah, it's a huge deal, and it sounds like you're running uh, an, an an extremely high quality program. I ran a program for 20 years, so I I know when things are right and when they're not right. And you know as well as I do, a lot of places are forget the industry standard. Right, even the standard isn't good, and it's a lot as a lot below the standard. A lot, a lot, a lot. Um, so congratulations on running a good program. Did you did you have some clinical people at the beginning that were especially uh, sort of made the difference and got this thing really going in the right direction? We did. Yeah, we had. You know, I mean, it was just uh, we were sitting, uh, you know, in a in a boardroom, you know, in Scottsdale, Arizona, with a bunch of whiteboards and sticky pads, and we had, you know, all the subject matter experts. Me being a subject matter expert from the end user and at that time, 25 years of sobriety, you know, and all my background. And then uh, we had Josh and Lisa Lannon who had successfully ran uh, high end, high quality 
treatment facilities. Uh, we had Annette Hill, who was, you know, bringing the clinical piece to it. So we had every every person that it would be needed to brainstorm and come up with all of them, you know, very experienced. Not so much, you know, I mean, like we yeah. always talk about the difference between knowledge and experience. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So we sat down there and it's like, hey, what is the best practices? What has worked in facilities with folks? You and know and I mean? one of the keys is having a very high quality, well trained, a lot of experience, cohesive team. And it sounds like you guys you guys have that. Well, a hundred percent. What Warrior's Heart is what it is because of the staff that we have. And uh, it is yeah. and the documentary is war is is it called Warrior's Heart or is it called Warriors Healing Warriors or is the Warriors Hearing Healing Warriors the subtitle? It's the Warriors Healing Warriors is the subtitle. Okay. And you yeah. follow a couple guys through the whole process, yeah? Uh, well, I mean, back to the HIPAA, not through the whole process, yeah. but there's guys that give testimonials at the end, you know, yeah. that talk about the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's that in there. But then also what's on there is uh, our a lot of our staff and their stories, uh, because almost every one of our staff is is intimately related to this community. Yeah. Uh, either they themselves, you know, were in these professions or loved ones, you know, and people that they care about. But, you know, this is it's hard work and it's a hard population. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. And, and <laughs> it, uh, so it takes a special kind of staff member, whether that's, um, you know, wh- whether that's from the, a guy working a gate to client relations to the clinician. Yeah, you know, it takes uh, a a special p- amount of passion and commitment. And that's yeah. what our staff and, and most people that have that also like working with, with the team they're with. They like the, 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 the that, that team participation for treating Absolutely. addicts. Mental health is really kind of a unique experience in, in clinical world. Let, I want to circle back to one more thing before we Ooh. kind of wrap up. When you were talking about moral injury, you mentioned the word innocence. You just, that right. sort of slipped out. Uh, what, right. did, what did you mean by that? I think, I think I know, but you Expand well, I mean, the, the innocence uh, on a couple aspects. So the one, one innocence thing, one innocent idea is, is that someone who should not have been hurt is very hurt. Uh, like, so an innocent person, you know, is now. They don't hurt. deserve it. Like, this isn't but fair. They didn't deserve yeah. what happened. Yeah. You know, whether that was in a car wreck here in the United States or whether that was after a bomb dropped. Yeah somewhere overseas. So yeah. that's, that's the one aspect of it on the innocence. And then the other aspect of it on the innocence is the internal. And I'm just, I guess, very speaking myself where it's like, it's like, Oh wow. Like there's no Santa Claus kind of yeah. innocent thing. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There, it's like, uh, where it's like, Oh man, like this is what war means. This is what being a cop means. This is what being a firefighter, this is what an EMT. So, you know, everybody comes into this profession, passionate, wanting to serve and just full of life. And then, you know, just like any profession, then you get in the weeds and then you get into the grind. And then, you know, these are, you know, these folks are the ones that take care of us, you know, from nine eleven to a nine one one call, you yeah. know, when, you know, this is who comes and helps us. Some of these guys I've noticed too get bothered when, when children are injured. Yeah, absolutely. That's really part of that innocence crushing thing. Yeah. I mean, if you're not a, uh, you know, a, a psychopath or a sociopath, uh, you know, a, a child being harmed, uh, there's not anything. Mm. Uh, I, I'm speaking for myself that's worse on this planet, 
you know, and uh, so how do you deal with that? You know, and uh, most guys deal with it the way that they were trained. It's like, hey, you compartmentalize it and move on. But we all know that that's a double-edged sword, you know, and uh, eventually all those little boxes that you've made, I always say it's like everybody's warehouse is a different size. (laughs) But at some point in time, like that thing's going to get full of the little boxes and they're going to all start cracking open and Mm -hmm. falling out. Mm -hmm. And that's when... <laughs> it's true. That's that's exactly the issue, which is the the pre trauma, the, the the childhood trauma is one sort of element that determines the makeup of that warehouse, and then the and then how you package things and all that is all part of the early trauma. And then what is your genetic endowment? You know, yeah. how much can you handle? It's like that's all different. Everybody, everybody's different that way. It's different for every single one, and every single instance affects everyone differently. And so nobody gets out for free. You know what no I mean? One. No one. Mm-mm. And that's the that's the beauty of like us meeting where the clients where they are, uh, yeah. because we all know like if you and I were to experience a traumatic event, uh, you know, hey, it was traumatic. You may you'll process it, and let's say, in hey, a month or two, like yeah, that that was horrible, and hey, but you're okay. And meanwhile, for me, experiencing the same event because of all those reasons you just said, like, I'm done. My life has now changed and I can't recover on my own. So when when we have the full spectrum coming to us, we know that, you know, so there's no cookie cutter. There's no, I mean, we have our modalities and our vehicles that get them to where they need to go. But at the end of the day, we know that that individual needs only whatever it is that that individual needs. And our job is is to find out what that is. And we do. Going back around one more to time also to the Gary Sinise organization. I, yes. I, I'm, I'm, should people, if they want to support your cause, should they give there or do you have a separate uh, way to help endow? We have the Warrior's Heart Foundation, uh, that warriorsheartfoundation.org. It is. Uh, Gary Sinise Foundation is obviously huge. So I, that's what I say to anyone who wants to give any money to any cause. Obviously, I, I really like the ones I'm involved in. <laughs> but it's, it's like the, the causes that you get involved in, your dollars should directly affect human beings and the population that you want to serve. You know, whether it's diabetes or whether it's uh, warriors, whatever you want to do in the Gary Sinise Foundation, you know, absolutely, you know, is track record proven of yeah. just where his heart's at. What do we do with people that think that the, the addicted, mentally ill warrior on the street just needs a place to live and a job and everything will be fine? How, how do we help people understand that it is vastly more complicated than that? I don't think we will be able to get them understand because again, back to their own life experiences. Uh, Cause I, I try to do it, you know, I'm a, uh, I, you know, uh, there are certain individuals that just need that hand up, you know, Hey, they need that solid job. They need that. But those aren't, that's not the category of guys and gals that, that I'm talking about. It's not t- the typical veteran on the street. Typical veteran on the street is meth, heroin, PTSD. I mean, that's typical. Yeah, a job's not going to help with no. that. A handout no. really like, you got to get cleaned up. Yeah. You know, there's that no matter who you are and what your background is, we all know when you have a chemical dependency, uh, that train goes to two stations. Uh, you know, you're either going to die from it or you're going to get in sobriety. That's people don't understand that. They yeah. seem to think that it's a static. Oh, he's just living his, it's how he's dealing. Let him deal. It's like, no, 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 no. That person's going to die for sure. Yeah. For sure. Not a question that's going to happen. And you are yeah. allowing them to die. Don't you have a moral problem with that? 
Oh, well. I know. I'm right there with, you know, we're we're obviously passionate about what we do. Uh, Enough, enough. All right, my friend. Uh, Did I miss anything? Is there anything you wanted to say more about the documentary or where people can see it or, or Warrior's Heart? No, the only thing I will say about the documentary, if, uh, you know, folks that are listening, hey, if you're a member of this population and if, uh, you know, I mean, it, it gets it gets pretty emotional. So, you know, before you, I highly recommend that you watch it and uh, because you'll be very proud and you'll be very proud of what we're doing. But I also, you know, hey, have some have your tools in your toolbox on, you know, because there's some emotional moving stories in there, uh, you know, that they just like, OK. Uh, I was ready for it, you know. But, but that, but that's what this is. I mean, that's what this. It's, it's real life. Yeah, it's what this situation is. Is what recovery is. Is what it is. And uh, and, it, and if the we're other easy, if we're easy, people would pop right out of their problems. It's not easy. And the beauty of it is, if they just watched the trailer, it's apolitical, right? Uh, we've been in this gig since nine eleven. So, uh, you know, uh, Democrats, Republican, President, you know, everybody, you know, everybody voted for somebody. So we're all in it. So it's not, hey, they did this. We did that. It's like, hey, our population, uh, our our guys and gals that are struggling that take care of us are having problems. Like, how can I assist that? Like, uh, like you said, that's very, you know, not complex. (laughs) The website one more time. WarriorsHeart.com. WarriorsHeart.com. Tom Spooner, thank you so much. Thanks, Dr. Drew, for having me. Appreciate it. You bet. We'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Hey, movie lovers. Who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts, ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device.